A little positivity. Greetings, Joymongers. Welcome to another episode of Joyfully You Life with Dr. Katrina Clark. I'm so delighted that you're listening to today's podcast, and I'm especially excited to be joined today by Betty Hines, business strategist extraordinaire. Betty was actually the chapter president for the group that I joined called the Women's Presidents Organization. And I have to say that was absolutely one of the most amazing experiences that I had as a new entrepreneur. And part of what made that experience so incredibly wonderful was having someone as knowledgeable, as experienced, and as passionate about making meaningful connections as Betty was facilitating our ongoing development and growth. So Betty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Petrina. Um, you've got the PhD since I've last I've spoken to you. Thank you so much for having me and give me this opportunity to share my insights on how women should continue to elevate. Wonderful. Well, yeah. So just piggybacking on that idea, what do you want to share with our listeners about your background that can help provide a little bit of context for what we're going to be talking about today, which is this concept of women elevating women. But more specifically, you actually have a whole movement and initiative that you've called Women Elevating Women. So you've taken it beyond the conceptual to the actual. Yes. My background comes out of corporate America. I've done that with the Fortune 50 companies where you have to go up the ladder. And I've also had the fortune or misfortune, depending how you want to look at it, that as you progress, that I had to be mobile. So I had to relocate. And in that interim and with corporate America, I relocated, I want to say at least six or seven times. That was the expectation for that if you wanted to move up to the next level, you had to uproot your family and take the next position in a different state. So with that experience, I decided that I was kind of tired of that movement. So I decided why not do something different? And that is at the point in time that my now husband and I decided to start our own business. We said to ourselves, we're making money for all these other corporations. Why not make money for ourselves? And I think a lot of women that I've worked with have had that same concept that, look, I've been doing this for everybody else. Now I'm going to do it for myself. So we did that. So with that knowledge, we were able to do what I call the dog and pony show. Uh, we went to New York trying to raise capital, and we would have to do it like stealth. We couldn't let the corporation know that we were doing these things. So we, you, know, you do what you have to do. And we would take our vacation days, go up to New York, do the presentations, or go to Chicago and try to raise capital. Now, back then, this is a few decades ago, $10 million was a lot of money. Right. So we did raise that capital. We were very excited. But from that, we also learned, we did start our property and casualty company just at the wrong time. It was like around 9-11. Oh, yeah. Around Enron. So it was kind of like, hmm. And you're trying to come in with something new. Not the best timing. Plus, there were some other barriers. But with that, we learned, number one, when you're trying to start your own business and raise capital, raise enough. We were coming out of corporate America and we were thinking, oh, 10 million. Wow, we got 10 million. Knowing that that was for surplus. But because of the success of the business, we grew so fast, we needed more surplus. So we ultimately find ourselves out there again, most of the time, probably more by 70% of the time. Lesson learned that I try to tell everybody raise enough, go big. Because it's the same due diligence they would have to do if we had to ask for 50 million. 
put other things at 10 million. And then when you go for the big number, not just to be going for the big number, but it's an alignment with the business plan, they're going to accept it. They're going to do the same homework behind it. So that's one of the messages I try to pass to other women that want to go out into the corporate world. So we did that. We had the company. And then with the incidents that I just shared with you, we ended it eventually running off the business at year five. It was just too much. They had some new laws come into effect in uh, 47, I think it was, or 47, where an insurance company couldn't be investigated. Another insurance company, not like businesses. So we ended up spinning off the business. But there was a lot of lessons learned mm-hmm. that I share. And for that reason, because of us being, I did not mention, we were the only minority-owned property and casualty company in the country. So that received a lot of attention and highlight. But all that attention was when out of New York, they reached out to me knowing that I was in Maryland. I had never heard of Women President's Organization, which is a problem, especially for women of color. We should know about that. Right. But we never knew about it. Reached out to me, the founder, and said, hey, look, want you to start some of these chapters in Maryland. So I was listening and I was consulting. And I'm like, hmm. But after giving some thought, I signed on board. And then when I joined their first conference or their first, excuse me, training, of trainers, so to speak, of all the chapter chairs around the country. It was one of two in the entire country. There's only two African-American women, people of color. Yeah. So share a little bit about Women's President's Organization and what that is for our listeners who might not be familiar with the organization. Sure. It's an organization for women who are CEOs, principals, partners of their own company, a woman-led company. They are the owner. Uh, 51% plus. So there's requirements in order to be admitted. The requirements is that the women or the business gross revenues must be at least 1 million if they are service and 2 million if they're product-based. Having said that, current data, you can go to the Small Business Administration or the National uh, Women Business Council, barely 3% of all women gross revenues at that million dollar mark. And when you break it out by ethnicity, women of color, barely 1%. And if you break it out even further, Black women, it's like a fraction. So you can see it's a very elite group. Yes, it's elite. And I really do, you know, want to take a moment to give you your flowers there because the idea that there are so few of us in your chapter Your chapters were predominantly women of color, overwhelmingly women of color. Intentionally. Yes, I understood. You were all about bringing us into the fold. And I love this idea that you had around, you know, knowledge being power, information being power, sharing collective experiences being powerful. And I know all of that you've poured into the concept of women elevating women because you've been the embodiment of that for as long as I've known you and certainly much longer than that. But you bring that into what you're now pouring your heart and soul into, which is this Women Elevating Women Business Conference and Strategic Networking Group. So I'm really excited to hear about how you've leveraged all of that experience and all of that knowledge and what you're hoping Women Elevating Women will actually be. Like what's your... What's your legacy vision for women elevating women? I, th- I thank you for that question. It gives me an opportunity to give my commercial. <laughs> but uh, women elevating women, or we refer to it as woo, I wanted to beta test the concept in its peer advisory. 
or a mastermind group, I saw the value of having women together in a peer group with the WPO. And there's no other organization like that. I mean, you have the other companies and women, but I saw no other. And I saw how women thrive. I saw the access to information. I saw the access to capital, capital that we know there's little cubby holes that we don't know about, particularly when it comes to things like venture capital and major investors. And so that is why I started. But prior to that, I did the Women of Color event where we traveled in 10 years to 23 cities and even London to group women of color because they never heard of And that's lack of information. Never heard of the organization. And we did that travel purposely to bring them into WPO. I didn't say there were zero women at that million dollar requirement for women of color. We just need to know where to go. Right. So... Seeing how women thrive at the conferences and just exchanging information ideas, many, many in my chapter and other chapters at Women of Color said, you need to do something for us. I said, you by us, because I'm about being inclusive. And they said, we need to have our own chapter. I said, you're right. And so I beta tested it by having these one-day conferences, and I would have people do testimonials best of my five pillars of success. I'll get back to that. But what I found in doing that is that people were really gravitating to us. They were very interested in participating in the conferences. So then it was time to take it to the next level. So my last conference was March of 2020, March 9th. Two days later, everything shut down with the COVID. Oh, wow. Priming, right? <laughs> yeah. That was my launch of having groups. We call them Women Elevating Women or the Woo Group. And the members selected that. After I realized, okay, now what? I did a couple more virtual conferences and people were just sending me emails and end messages like, we're ready, we're ready, ready to go. So in uh, November, I started my first Woo Crew and it's 23 people. What I did, because I didn't want to leave out that 97% because I told you statistically where we were. People, of, It's not just Black women, it's people of color, people from diverse cultures as well. And that allows me to make that global reach. So I have 23 and the revenue, given the gap I had thinking about the other 97%, is that you have to have at least six figures. You got to have at least 100,000, at least be three years in business. Okay. I try to do startups, nothing, you know, I've done that. Right. I'm passing that on to the other people, but I've passed that stage in life. I'm not doing the startups. We will mentor, they will mentor. I want you to be able to know what's a P&L. Right. I want you to have a strategic business plan. You know, you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a mission and vision. I'm not trying to do the basic one, but I think you get my point. Yes. So it's six figures. And so right now, 23 women, the revenues range from six figures to 6.5 million. Of that group, I have eight, no nine, that are in a million plus. Have at least four that are just a biscuit away from hitting that million dollar. Okay. We're attracting that audience. So I'm going to have to launch another, but that was the plan. So I'm launching Woo Crew 2 and 3, have some advertising going behind it, some promotion. So the first classes will start in August. So the first group, they're from all over. They're from Virginia, Georgia, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland, D.C. I'm looking, because I've been building some relationships with the UAE that I will be bringing people in from the UAE, from the Netherlands. And I, I have to say, and I'm not, I don't mean any 
disparage in common, but I didn't realize there were so many Black people in the Netherlands. I was enlightened. And so there's people in the Netherlands, in Brussels, and Nigeria, because I spoke in Nigeria in November. So I want to make it not just multicultural, but global. Because what you will find, and I'm sure you know, is that the women challenges and issues are the same. It's, it's a global, it's universal. Right. So I'm glad you brought that up. If you had to pick like the number one or number one and two, because sometimes when you can only pick one, that's hard. The numbers one and two challenges that women entrepreneurs, women business owners experience with achieving the same levels of success as their male counterparts or their white counterparts, what would you say those one or two things are? I say one of the biggest barriers is the access to capital. And let me explain that. It's not that we don't know where to look. We know about the SBA. We know about the grants. Okay. But it's when you're looking at the capital, I might want to go angel, I might want to go venture. It's language that is to be presented that's easily digestible. I've got a couple of doctors, and you know who they are. They could be talking medical terminology, and I'm like, it's way over my head. And that doesn't mean I'm not intelligent. It's just that that's not my language. Right. <laughs> not my language. So be able to present to women of color in a language or in a format that we can understand, not saying that we're low intelligence because we're not. So I think that's the barrier because I didn't wake up. Some didn't have you know, my, my mama going through the Wall Street. I didn't have my parents talking about picture. And I won't say it's a disadvantage because we have been exposed to it and we know where to look, but to be able to package it in that same manner. And then the second biggest barrier is really kind of twofold. I say it's access to the information and access to opportunities. There's information out there that we don't know about. You probably saw some of that, like, oh, I didn't know about this award. Oh, I didn't know about this. We don't know about it. And that is great exposure that we need in terms of branding ourselves personally and our business. Access to information and access to the resources. It's almost like the old boy network where certain things are shared. There was conversations that we would have at this conference that we would have never heard at a sorority or another Black organization. We never had that kind of conference. We found out so much information or tried to bring it back to the group. I felt those are the biggest barriers. Yeah, you make a really good point. I know I've participated, as you know, in a couple of developmental activities for new CEOs. And, you know, you raise a couple of good points. One is this income threshold that really does present a barrier to a lot of people having access. And so it's almost like you have to have money to actually get money, which I understand that principle. But if the playing field is not level, if there are inequities in the system that actually keep certain demographics at a disadvantage, it just makes what you're doing all the more important and all the more crucial and critical because you're right. You know, I, I went into WPO and I was grateful for the opportunity to be mentored by and grow and develop with such a, a wonderful group of women. And at the same time, it was a really great training ground because from there, I went into the Goldman Sachs business development program. And you're right. It's like, you know, it's just like anything else. When I went for my doctorate, 
you know, there are just different languages in different settings. And if you've not been exposed, and I remember the first day of our doctoral program when they were talking to us about academic writing and academic literature, and we started reading some of those very first articles, I could have been reading Greek. And they assured me that by, you know, just continuing to apply yourself and stick with it, before you know it, it's just going to click. It's sort of like sitting through a Shakespeare play. In the beginning, it's a little bit difficult to understand the dialogue, but before you know it, and you don't even realize when it happens, it just clicks and you're there, you're all in to the story. And I think it's the same for some of these concepts that support women entrepreneurs in growing and developing their own businesses. And so to the extent we have women in our audience who are or have been contemplating becoming entrepreneurs. I know you don't do the startup thing. You There's a demographic for that. Listen, I feel you. I'm not mad at you about that at all because <laughs> people ask me, hey, do you do individual coaching? No, I don't do one-on-one coaching anymore. I'm, I can do some team coaching, but the one-on-one... I hear you. Yeah, there's some other people, right, who can do that and I'll be happy to refer you. So I get that. But given your broad depth of experience and the folks who may be listening, for those folks who are contemplating something like that, If you had to give them like one or two key tips for finding the right mentor, connecting with a mentor, connecting with someone who can help shepherd them through some of these cubbies and little hidden nooks and crannies, what would you say? Well, there's a lot of discussion on a mentor or an advocate. Mm -hmm. And again, it depends on where you are. If you're in corporate America, I say you need both. And if you're in business as a woman, you might, and there's a big difference. So they need to understand the difference of someone that's mentoring you or someone that is your advocate that's making those strategic introductions for you on your behalf. That's a big, big difference. So I believe you need those. But what you first have to do is not just go through the LinkedIn and look at people and say, I want that one, I want that one. You need to know where you want to go. You have to have your business plan together. Where is your growth and who can get you there? I don't use this term that's sparing to your manager, but you have to find your tribe. Mm -hmm. You have to find a group that you're comfortable with. What the women in Wu have found, because I have some women, honestly, who are in my WPO are also in my Wu Mm -hmm. because there's a comfort level. Uh, You have to find a group that you're comfortable with where you can ask a question that you don't feel you're going to be judged. And that's not always the case, particularly if you're with, you know, businessmen, they will tend to dominate the conversation if there's women there that you got to fight your way in. Sometimes not fight, but it's just a different balance. Mm-hmm. You have to find your own group. And this is where I see when you find a group of women, you will find that major. They'll say, hey, you know who you need to talk to? They've already vetted that person for you. You need to get with so-and-so. Or you try to get in there. You know, I can do an introduction. I know so-and-so and they will introduce you. So it depends where you are on your business. If you're a newbie or you're just starting your business, you need that mentor and advocate. If you've been in the game for about two, three years, three years, you can find that with the right group mm-hmm. because they're willing. I only put people in the group who are about sharing information. A young lady told me, and I'll, her name is Maya Penn. She was an entrepreneur at the age of eight. She's uh, 21 now. When I was in Atlanta doing one of my conferences, we were having a dialogue. And I was having her speaking on the pillar about a collaboration, about, you know, the multi-generational, how do we collaborate? And she says, you know, we need each other. She said, because there's enough sky out there for all of us. So that resonated with me. And so I only bring people in the group that had that concept about how do we elevate each other? 
and, and I'm very sincere and passionate about that. If easier women, when I go to the interview, they're all about me, me, me. You'll get something, but there's going to be days or times or situations where you're going to get stuck. And there's a blessing to be able to go through a group of common people, people who have the same commonality, and you can share your thoughts and, and they can say, oh, yeah, I, I went through that. Someone has been through it. That is the value. And, and I don't like to admit it, but women, we're learning better on how to collaborate. Don't do that well. We just haven't done that well. I mean, we're getting to team sports and the younger generations are, are doing it more so. But that whole knowledge of collaboration, they lack understanding the value of social capital. Yeah, no, I'm glad you raised that point because that was definitely one of the things that I wanted to chat with you about today is this this idea of collaboration. And you're raising the point, you know, a lot of times, especially in corporate America, we compete more with one another than we do collaborate with one another. And even when I did my dissertation in law enforcement, you saw a lot of that, where if if there's a belief among us that there's not enough sky, I love that analogy that there's enough sky for all of us. But if somehow we've bought into the notion that there's not enough sky for everyone, that there's only a limited amount of sky, then that sets up a dynamic where we're competing with one another rather than being collaborative and supportive of one another, really establishing community with one another and communing with one another. And so I love that you raised that point. And I don't know that it happens as much in independent businesses, I guess there's less maybe competition in those settings because we've carved out our individual niches or do you still find yourself having to facilitate some enhanced collaboration? I'll just say it in a very nice way. Yeah, that was very positive. (laughs) That was very delicate. In some instances, yes. And it doesn't last long. There's enough examples to share how you've done. You can go further. And you can bypass some of the missteps. That was my whole purpose. I didn't want people to have the same missteps that I had when we started our company. Right. Why do you need to go through all that pain and suffering? And you appreciate that. When you got people, we had 100 people. You got, when you're responsible for someone's paycheck and their insurance, all those things, you don't want someone else sleep at night. Right. Tell me about it. (laughs) You were there when I was going through this, yeah, through Mm, a very mm. difficult time with Pivotal. And thank God that things turn around, but not everyone has the ability to kind of weather a lot of those storms. Yes. And that's some of the lessons. Yeah. Yeah. You have to work with them. Say, I'd rather have a percent of a billion than zero. Right. A hundred percent of everything, right? Yes. I know. It's like, yeah. I'd rather have a little bit of something than 100% of nothing, right? Yes. And so it's shifting that mindset. And it's a lesson. It's, it's, it's a constant giving of examples and having testimonials. And then you might grow beyond that person. That's okay. And then you find another group. Yeah. There's always groups out there that you can use as a resource, as a base. And uh, collaboration, the same with connecting. There's a huge difference. It's a subtle but if you don't understand it, it's huge between collaborating and connecting. How do you connect to the right? Because there's you could be out every night. Well, not now, not going out. But in the past, you can be at so many different events. What is the best connection for you? 
be it an organization, it be in a government, you got to assess it, take a look at them, say, hey, look, are they doing anything for people like me who look like me, who are in my business? You have to do your homework beforehand and before you make those business connections. What I have found with the groups, inevitably, somebody knows somebody that somebody else knows that you're trying to get to. Yeah. And you can sit there and do that. Yeah, we started out with 60 degrees of separation and now we're down to like three degrees of separation. To your point, you know somebody who knows somebody who can introduce you to that person. Exactly. You don't even, it's not even six anymore. And that's what we need to learn how to use. Yeah, I loved your idea of social capital. When we think capital, a lot of times we think just dollars. Yeah. But there is social capital. There's also psychological capital, yes. emotional capital. And when we spend our emotional capital competing with one another rather than collaborating with one another, we're depleting a very important, valuable natural resource. Yes. So I love, love, love that you made that point and made that connection. I also like to, to emphasize the importance of being intentional. And so I like the idea you made that because I certainly at one time felt like I was going to all these, you know, networking events and networking meetings, and it was just exhausting. And I, for me, it just had, it felt like it had a very low return on investment. And I did exactly what you said, probably at your council, like ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, with one being little to no value and 10 being, oh my God, this is the most invaluable experience I've ever had. Start evaluating these experiences. And I would like to extend that idea to even the relationships, right? Like if you're, if you have these professional associations that you're a part of, give them a one to 10. And, and if you've got things that are like three and below, cut it so that you have more physical, emotional, and psychological capital to pursue those things that are going to give you a higher return on investment. And that's so true because they might've been okay. They might've been able to feed you where you were at that point in time. Right. But as you grow and you were able to sustain yourselves in other ways, maybe that's no longer the area and that's okay. Right. Because you know it's always back there that you can always go back for nourishment. So it's okay. I'm in a totally different area, so I need to be over here. It's okay. You can't personalize change. I love that you're making that point. So what's this? I know one of the things that you grappled with, and you alluded to this very briefly earlier, but but WPO, there are tiers. And so there's this entry-level tier, but then you have super elite tiers. Mm -hmm. And so you have had a couple of women want to hang back, right? They don't want to go to that next tier. So what were your insights about why we as women sometimes want to kind of hold back and stay with the familiar when all indications are we should at least try that next level? Mm -hmm. It's a comfort level. I mean, because I had a Zenith group and that was 70 million to billions. There was like four billionaires that were listed there. And that's, it's a whole different dynamic, a whole different process. And there's a fear. I say it's fear because at that level, when they were, you know, I was trying to push them out. It's a different audience. That 10 to 15 million is a whole different audience of people, whole different level connections. Not that you're not trying to make those connections, actually who are even interested in you, like winning women program. You know, so it's like, well, they're not going to look at you. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to <laughs> But there's certain levels that certain people are going to start entertaining you. So that's okay. 
that's okay. It's exactly okay. I love that point. And I think this is really important because you've said this now a couple of times at least, and I don't want to, you know, brush past it because I think as I've listened, it's really an important point. One is do assessment often, like check in with yourself on where you are. And if you've outgrown a circumstance, a situation, a group, bless and release, you know, part lovingly, part graciously, so that you are able to maintain those relationships that matter. Because you never know when you might need those relationships again, but be willing to expand and grow to that next level. Because without that willingness, the growth can't happen. If you're not vulnerable, yeah, you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable as well. You know, this is another chapter that you're not really pushing yourself. And I'm not saying being vulnerable in terms of practice. Right. You know, moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. Yeah, and just a little bit outside the comfort zone because that's where growth occurs. And I think that sweet spot. And I think that's really the significance and the importance of community as you've articulated it, right? If you take enough of a step outside of your comfort zone, recognizing that you've got this support system to help you, you know, almost a safety net, if you will, so much better than doing it all by yourself. And that's important. Yeah. I mean, as women, and I saw that with you too, we're so humble. We don't want to applaud our accomplishments and, you know, and we kind of like, you know, me, I'm like, shoot, if I was a dude, he'd be like, PhD. And we have another member that just, we know, that just got her PhD. And so she goes, oh, I said, no, Dr. Gina, hey, you work for that. <laughs> that wasn't just handed to you. I know. I feel like, though, <laughs> I know, and I know you're fussing at me a little bit right now. Yes. And I get it. It's like others celebrate our achievements and they can live a little bit vicariously through us. And that provides motivation and inspiration. I get that piece of it. I think sometimes what we grapple with, I don't want to call it a struggle because it's not really a struggle, but this grappling with not over-identifying with these external things, right? Like my mom named me Petrina Michelle. And so in DC, I'm Petrina. And in Texas, I'm Michelle. That's my name. And so when people ask me my name, I don't say doctor. So doctor is not my name. That's an achievement that I've had. Yes. You know, that's something that I've done, something that I've accomplished because I've met people who, you know, you can't call them anything but doctor because. Well, you're talking different egos <laughs> <laughs> because like we had four or five doctors in our group and they wanted to be called with their first name out in public, particularly if they are women of color. Right. I get that. I introduced them in close quarters. Like your mama's not walking around calling you no Dr. Michelle. Exactly, exactly. No, that's right. And I've gotten very comfortable now with, you know, people wanting to highlight that accomplishment because it is, I mean, very much like being a business owner, it's a fairly elite group. There are not a lot of doctors running around. It seems like it because we congregate and we love on each other, but there aren't a lot of people who go and achieve that milestone. Mm-hmm. And it's to be celebrated. Yes, it's to be celebrated. We, as particularly women of color, and I was stressed, but if you did something wrong, it'd be all up in the news. That's a great point. We need to celebrate the victories because you're a role model. Yeah. It's a role model for, because you know, another one of my pillars is cultivate, reaching back, being a model for our young women, our young girls. So there's relevancy in when and how to do it. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that point. I definitely do. And I've gotten better. You'll be happy to know I've gotten a lot better (laughs) and I'm much more comfortable with it. And I pay attention to where it feels like it's really a good thing to do. I'm not just automatically, oh, we don't have to mention that. So you'll be happy to know I've gotten better. Did Marsha Firestone always have some referred to her as Dr. Firestone? I rest my case. (laughs) You rest your case. (laughs) So you probably anticipated, Betty, that there would be at least one question about joy. What's bringing you joy these days? What brings me joy? Gosh, there's a lot of things that are bringing me joy right now. Joy for me right now is that this weekend, I had a wonderful weekend. We love trains, my husband and I, and we were. So it's taking those times and spoiling ourselves, going out to the farm to get some strawberries and get some vegetables. We're going out there, you know, you can pick your own and doing that. Yeah, yeah. my joy right now is that as far as it is a woman, the things that I'm doing for the women, just so proud and so pleased. I never thought I'd be starting another chapter soon. So right now I'm looking, I'm working to get some, what offset the cost other organizations do, because right now it's, it's not, so the cost is not what it should be higher. The second group's not going to get that break, but... <laughs> So that is joy that people are seeing, that the women are seeing value. When they get it and they connect and they have accountability partners, I love it. I love it a lot. So that's my joy. And then I'm very, I'm very proud of what, the, um, you know, my adult children, my daughter is very successful in corporate America. She's a director at a Fortune 50 company. And my son, just he's a graphic designer. He just designed a Boom app. And that's an app for, you know, businesses. So there's a lot of joy. And then, my other little fun things that I do, and I can't wait to be open up again, is I'm an usher. It's to have that balance. I'm an usher. I'm part of the National Ushers Association. Oh, wow. I love it. <laughs> I know how to step. Yes, I do. Part of the Baltimore unit of the ICUA. That gives me release and strengthens my spirituality, ushering. And then I'm part of the lay organization and the EAME. So those are my joys. I love that, Betty. What I'm taking away from that is balance. And purpose. So a balanced life as you live your purpose. Mm-hmm. We all have a purpose. Yeah. Every last one of us has been put on this earth and God has a purpose for our life. And you must do your best every day to make sure you're fulfilling that purpose. I absolutely believe that as well. And I think that is a wonderful way to end our segment today. I want to leave that. We each have a divine purpose and we should be endeavoring to be open to and allowing that purpose to be fulfilled in us in the most wonderful and wondrous ways. And when we're doing that, that opens us up to infinite joy and abundance in our lives. Yes, it does. Well, Betty, thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon. It's been amazing catching up with you. I want to close out by wishing my listeners my standard farewell greeting until we meet again, continue to be joyfully you full of joy, fully you. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Katrina, and keep elevating. A little